Charles Spurgeon might pop up here on the screen in a minute. You know, Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, great evangelist, man of God. Now, he didn't have really too much concern about who he offended. Sometimes he spoke. There were many things he said that were very aggressive. This might be one of them. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We think of missionaries necessarily, I mean, or most of the time, as, and, and most of the time in our today's vernacular, that's what it would be, a, an overseas missionary. I want to show you a definition here of what that is. There's a, you know, look it up in the dictionary. Can't really see that that much, but one thing it says there at the beginning is a person sent on a religious mission. This is especially one to promote one in a foreign country. A religious mission is not limited to being overseas. You don't have to go overseas to be a missionary. I think what Charles Spurgeon was saying is that every Christian is called to live on mission. Now, just because our nation is the most technologically advanced, the wealthiest, the largest economy in the world, the greatest standard of living in the world, does not make it any less of a mission field. In fact, you could argue, perhaps, that it may make it even a greater mission field because of all of those things create a lot of temptation. And with temptation comes a lot of sin. And this world that we live in, and this nation we live in, in fact, even though I believe that God has his hand on this country, it is still a mission field, a, a large one. You could even define that down. Then let's take the nation, let's go to Florida, let's go to Clay County, let's go to Fleming Island. You can compress that right down to anything. It is a mission field. Ready for harvest. You're not required to leave the country to be on mission. And I believe that the Bible tells us that every believer is gifted in some way, shape, or form to serve the body of Christ. Absolutely scriptural. Maybe more than one gift, in fact. But the Bible also tells us that we are to be on mission as well. And that's why I've titled the sermon today, Building a Church on mission. How do we do that? Well, one thing is ministry is what we do in this fellowship at First Assembly. Ministry is what we do. Now, ministry is to help the body of Christ in things like spiritual formation and spiritual growth. That's one thing we do. And that's an important thing we do. But being on mission is what happens when you take the message of Jesus Christ to the people who need him. I think sometimes we have church for us, and we do, and we worship, and we feed, and that's great. But there's a whole lot of other things that are important if you want to be a church on mission. Jesus expects us to reach out to the unchurched. Let's say that again. He expects us to reach out to the unchurched who have not received him in their lives. Does anyone know people, maybe you know them well, maybe you know them casually, how many people know people who have not received Jesus Christ into their lives? And not a 
accepted him. That's your mission field. That's the mission. That's it, right? Everybody in here, I believe, raised their hand. When we talk about being on mission as a church, it's not simply that we need to go and tell. We've got to, as a church, as a body of believers here, we need to lead people into spiritual formation, spiritual growth, to develop as many Christ followers as possible. So here's the thing that, the way I, I put it, we need to help them grow in their faith, find their gifts, serve the body of Christ, and then equip them, all these people that you raised your hand that you knew is what I'm talking about, and others. And then equip them to be on mission as well. That's building the church on mission. Finding their gifts, serving the body, and equipping them. And all of that is with spiritual formation and spiritual growth. We need to do this. Reach out, bring them in, build them up, send them out. I'm going to say that again. I'm asking you to say that with me. We need to reach out, bring them in, build them up, send them out. And I mean send them out. Not necessarily overseas, although we may have people come in here that become foreign missionaries. Praise God, wouldn't that be great to be a church sending that? We may have someone in here that we decide that we're going to support right here in Clay County, planting another church. Yeah, let's send them out. We can also just send people out, maybe on a missions trip, maybe send people out in personal evangelism teams. There's a lot of ways to send out. And I tell you, this is the whole reason we exist. This is a church on mission right there. That's what it is, and it is my fervent desire, and I will tell you it's my fervent prayer that this church 100% commits to this, commits to this concept of what I'm sharing with you today in building this church on mission. Reach out, bring them in, build them up, send them out. But it's not going to happen on its own. It's not going to just happen on its own now. We must be intentional about this. And for that to happen, there has to be a shift. And I'm not just speaking to you. I'm speaking to me right now, as I try to do every time I stand up here. We need to have a shift in our thinking. And we need to have a shift in our lifestyle. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I mean that we have to think about things differently. We have to live a little differently. And it, and it can't just be this. You know, God has a vision for, for his plan in this world. It can't just be his vision. It can't just be Pastor Bill's vision. It can't just be my vision. It has to be our vision. Amen? It has to be our vision. But we must shift our thinking from, let's go to this next one, self-centeredness. God-centeredness. Now look, I'm not saying anyone in here is self-centered. There's probably no one in here more self-centered than I am, I'll be honest with you. Okay? We're going to be truthful. And we are. We all struggle with that. Okay, that's fine. But I'm not, so I'm not saying all of you self-centered people. I'm just saying we need to shift any way that we can, any part that's still left from a self-centered mindset to a God-centered Mindset. I'm going to tell you a story. In 2008, there was a girl named Sarah Tukolsky 
She was a college senior playing for Western Oregon's girls softball team. She was uh, in the conference championship game her team was playing. She came up to bat and hit a home run for the first time in her college career. She was a senior. First time ever she did a home run. She referred to herself as a line drive singles hitter. That's what she said, for those of you that know baseball a little bit. You know, we didn't hit for power. So the first time ever she hit a home run in her senior year in the conference championship game of the, uh, I wrote it down here, the Northwest, Great Northwest Atlantic Athletic Conference. Hit a three-run homer. In her excitement, she's rounding the bases, and as she did, she, she missed first base. And in her excitement, as she missed first base, she tried to turn back quickly to do it, and in the process, twisted her knee and tore her ACL ligament. Falling down onto the ground in extreme pain, she crawled back to the first base bag and just was hugging it and laying on the ground and holding that bag. Now, the other, there were two, it was a three-run homer. There were two other people. They had crossed the, the home plate. The coach came out to the umpire. They didn't know what to do. She's there. She hit a home run. She can't run. So the, the rules were that if any teammate or coach helps another player in that regard, they're out. So that couldn't happen. So here she is lying here at the first home run in a key game and, and the, the, one of the greatest moments of her athletic life, and here she lies on first base. Until Mallory Holtman, <laughs> I watched this thing yesterday, man, when prepared for this. I'm going to put it on, some, on my Facebook page or something. You need to watch this video. You really do. Mallory Holtman and Liz Wallace from the other team, Western Washington, the other team now, with no one asking them, came over to this girl and picked her up and carried her to second base. And with the leg that wasn't injured, they allowed her to touch that base. Then they took her to third base and they allowed her to touch third base. And they carried her on to home plate where she was able to touch home plate and finish that home run. And here's a picture of them right here. Look at that. You see? There are things that are more important than what's important just to us. There are things in this world that those girls, Mallory and Liz, learned that were far more important than winning that game. They learned selflessness that day. That's what I mean when I say turning our thinking in a spiritual context from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. Philippians 2.4 says this. This is scriptural. Philippians 2.4. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of, of, those others are the ones sitting next to us and also the ones we raised our hands about earlier. The interest of others. To be a church on mission, we must shift our thinking from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. And here's another thing we need to do. We've got to shift our thinking from temporal values to eternal values. Temporal values to eternal values. That which pleases us and that we understand today to things that matter for eternity. 
changing our mindset, shifting our thinking. I'll tell you, I have an example of how I do that. I, there's, there's two questions I like to ask myself a lot, and, and I'll ask you to ask yourself these questions today. And not the stock answer. Nobody's going to ask you to come out with the answer. Just think about it. What are you living your life for? In our family, this one, the church, and the one that people around. I don't know what it is. I'm not, there's no critic. There's no wrong answer. It's your answer. What are you living your life for? What are you investing your life in? And there are things we have to do. We have to support our family. We have to do a lot of things. I'm not, I'm just, I'm saying, what are you living your life for? Here on earth. What are you, what are you investing your life in? Let me tell you another example I use when I talk to people sometimes. You may have heard me say it here. I don't know. I use the term looking at things through the lens of eternity. If I look at this, I'm going to say these, this, is the, this is just an example. These are not actually the lens of eternity. <laughs> these are actually the lens so I can see. But if it were, metaphorically, let's just say this is an example. This is the lens of eternity. I'm looking at things. And I look at things and I try to think about things. And maybe I start thinking about how much money I have in the bank. Or what kind of clothes I wear, or what kind of car I drive, or what am I in the right social network of people? Am I popular? Do I do I uh, fit in the right way? A- am I ex- am I respected in my community? Am I a- am I uh, am I am I what other people think are cool or hip or popular in the culture or whatever it might be? Now, I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with some of those things, maybe all of those things. But what I am saying is this, that when you look at things through the natural and through your eyes this way, you're going to see things differently than when you put on things, and now I see things through the lens of eternity. All of a sudden, I see heaven. All of a sudden, I see my friends. All of a sudden, I see my family members. All of a sudden, I see things differently because I'm shifting my thinking from temporal values and I'm shifting it to eternal values. And as I look there, I want to make sure that those people I met at the grocery store, that that guy that I saw on the side of the road with a sign that's asking for money, I want to try everything that's within my power that I'm able to do. And I can tell you people together can do more than any one person can do. I want to focus on what is eternal. I'm asking you to think about that today. We want to build a church on mission. That's what we're going to have to do. So we're, there's two ways you can look at this too. I said an example I gave you, but two places that can really bring this into focus if you, in terms of temporal values to eternal values. I'm going to tell you what they are. Maybe more than two. But one is, where do you spend your time where do you spend your money? And when I start talking about that, I know it's going to get quiet. Because I have my time. I got to work. I got, to, I got free time. I've got to do what I got to do. Or I work hard for this money. I got things I need to do. I, 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 you know, I, this is what I need to do with this. All I'm asking you to think about is where you're investing your life, where, what, you're, what you're living for. And you can find those answers by looking at your checkbook or your bank account or your credit card statement, and you can look at your calendar. Where am I spending my time? Where am I spending my money? Billy Graham said, in fact, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I will tell you where their heart is. 
And, I, and I'm sure, I'm sure that that was not always met with the rousing ovation that you just gave me. <laughs> because it challenges us. It makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Man, I don't know if I want Billy Graham looking at my checkbook. We're all in this together. And I mean, but, but the point is, I think that's a true statement to you. Do you think that he could tell a lot about you without ever needing you if he saw where you were spending your money? I think he could. I think anyone could. I think it's uh, insightful. I want to talk about this for just one second. Next step. We've we've been talking about it, and I just want to say this. Because this is a big deal. This is a big deal. It's not a big deal because we want to do something to impress other people. It's not because we want to build some fancy building. I can promise you this. What we do in, 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 a, in facilities, they will always be nice, but they will never be extravagant. You hear what I said? They'll be nice, but they won't be extravagant. Because we don't need extravagant. We need functional. We need nice. We need something that's going to be appealing to the unchurched, to the seekers. But we also need something that's, that's, that's good stewardship and that's, 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 uh, that's done in a, in a way that economizes and is properly using the funds that we have. So I just want you to know that. But I do want you to know this. This program, because of what uh, we're doing in this, in this capital initiative, it is a fundraising campaign, and there's no secret to that. We're asking people to, to, to give money to this. But we're also letting you know that this is an opportunity to expand your faith. And I know that sounds real easy for me to say, but I expanded mine on Friday night to the greatest extent that I've ever done it. I'm not saying that to be boastful or anything else. I'm just saying I, we, my wife and I. And, and that I'm standing here right now getting butterflies in my stomach a little bit. But it's not because of the money. It's because of the fact that I've, I, I think my faith is at one place today, and I believe as we go through this initiative over the next two years of pledges, I believe the faith of, of our family and the faith of everyone in here who makes the sacrifice is going to be extended, grown, and expanded to believe God for bigger and greater things. Amen. And I just wanted to touch on that because it's so important in all that I'm talking about, a church on mission. Patrick Henry said this. Most people know Patrick Henry for being the man that said, give me liberty or give me death. Does everybody know that? Is there anybody that missed that history or civics lesson? Everybody know that quote? I'm not getting a lot of response here, but that's okay. If not, we're going to get you guys back in school. Uh, Patrick Henry was also the governor of Virginia. He was a great patriot. He was an attorney. A lot of people don't know all those other things about him. But they know, most people know, give me liberty or give me death. Yeah, he was the guy that said that. What a great patriotic thing he said. This quote was better than that. This quote was more meaningful than that. It says this, I have now disposed of all my property to my family. There is one thing more I wish I could give them, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. If they had that, and I had not given them a single shilling, they would be rich. And if they had not that, and I had given them all the world, they would be poor indeed. The reason 
that statement is so strong is because it is absolutely 100% true. Who would trade everything they have to make sure your child is in heaven? Would you give up every single dollar, every single comfort, every everything to make sure your child is in heaven? Of course you would. Of course I would. That's what he's saying. He wishes that he could give them that, but he can't. But we, as a body of believers on mission, can be a part of facilitating God's plan that all come to know him. Being on mission, church is rooted in the identity of God himself. God is on a mission whether we're on it with him or not. He is. He has a plan. And I believe that Jesus... When he was here, Jesus did and was the embodiment of that mission. I'll tell you why. In in the book of John, Jesus is uh, in many times quoted, but there are numerous times where he speaks about being sent. About being sent. One of those was in the high priestly prayer, John 17, 18. Praying. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. But then he's speaking about, there are not only the disciples, the apostles, the people that are around him. He's speaking about us. He's talking about everyone in this building today when he says that. That's it again here in John 20 and 21. Speaking to the disciples as he's appearing to them after the resurrection, he says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. See, this idea of being on mission and being sent out to do that started with Jesus. It's not something we're coming up with today. This was his instruction. So, when we look at it that way, we have to consider that that's part of being a church on mission. Being God's mission is, is the embodiment of Jesus and what he came and he did and, and the words that he spoke giving us clear, not, not ambiguous instructions as the word would be sent out to go do something for him. That's what the church on mission is. So today is Pentecost Sunday. Right? Pentecost Sunday. You're wondering, when are you going to start preaching about Pentecost Sunday? I hope and I believe and I thought, think the Lord has been leading me to what I'm sharing with you today, but I want to quickly tell you about why this ties into Pentecost Sunday. We need, if we're going to be a church on mission, we need, and I want to emphasize that word need, bold, red type, circle it, underline it, we need the power of Pentecost. We need it. We don't, it's not optional. We need it to be a church on mission. The power of the Holy Spirit to be active and working in our lives, in our ministry, and in our church. We need it. Pentecost is not only now, and I said this a couple weeks ago, and I hope people understand, Pentecost is not just about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Although, I'm going to say again for the record, I don't want anybody to think that I had any uh, squishiness about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe it. It's necessary. I think I believe full gospel. I believe everything about the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, including the evidence of speaking in tongues. So there it is for the record. But I'm only saying, and I think you are probably know I, I believe that, but I'm just saying that so there's no 
uncertainty about what I'm saying. It's not just about that. People think, well, Pentecost, I said everybody got filled with Spirit spoken tongues. That's true. But it was also the birth of a church, starting of a movement. That was what we need to get back to today. And it was not just about that one thing that we talk about so much, although it be an extremely important thing, meaning the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but Pentecost is about power. Now, that power comes to us through the Holy Spirit, but it is about power. And listen, we need the power of the Holy Spirit because we need power to be witnesses. Do you believe that? Do you think it's easy enough to go out on your own and do that? Or do you need the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and speak to people about Jesus? I'm not saying you can't do it without him, but I don't recommend trying. I don't recommend trying. Acts 1.8 says this, Amplified Bible. I love this version. But you will receive power and ability. Say that with me. Power and ability. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to tell people about me, Jesus speaking now, to tell people about Jesus, he will give us, through the Holy Spirit, the power and the ability, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Power and ability. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And a lot of us as believers do not realize that the power of the Holy Spirit to handle things that we try to do under our own power. Whoever has tried to do that, I'm going to go try to figure this out and do this and come up with a scheme or a plan or an idea or a method or strategy. But, but when you do it under the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes the way it all goes. It's almost always not what you planned. I can say that because I had something happen in this message today, that very thing. It's not under our own ideas that we're going to be successful. In other words, if we if we do things under our own power and reasoning instead of relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, we're likely to be unsuccessful and we may be at the very least less successful than we would be otherwise. That's a fact. And I want to emphasize this by saying this. God wants us to complete the task that he calls us to as a church. He wants us to complete the task of outreach and evangelism, witnessing, sharing Christ with others, doing the things that I talked about earlier. He wants us to do that by his power and not by our plans or our own ingenuity. Not by our own plans and ingenuity. We think we're so smart sometimes. Let me tell you. He has given us, through the Holy Spirit, the power and ability to do it. Here's another thing. I believe this from the bottom of my heart. God, and there's a slide here, does not ask his people to do his work without giving them the ability to do it. Not one time. Now, he may have us all do different things. Everybody doesn't do everything. That's gifting. Or that may be calling. But, but, but it's clear. God 
something for his work and not give you the ability to do it. Where does that ability and where does that power come from? The Holy Spirit working, active, living, breathing in our lives. That's where it comes from. That's what Pentecost is about. It's about that power, about that ability. Why do you think he asked all those guys to wait in Jerusalem? Now, most of them didn't wait. Most of them gave up. They fell away. They went away. Only that, that, that core group stayed. But why do you think Jesus asked them to wait? Because they weren't ready. They weren't ready to go launch this church, to go, you know, push this movement ahead. This, this, if I'm pronouncing this right, I've heard two different pronunciations all along the way over the years. This ecclesia, this movement of what the church was at its beginning. He didn't ask them to wait for any other reason, but they weren't ready. But when they were ready is when what happened? When the Holy Spirit fell on that place. And when he fell on that place, it fell in fire. And it fell, it fell in the, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But at that moment is when the power and the ability was given to those people to go out and do what we are worshiping here today. Think about it. What other movements, what other anything has lasted all this time, and there's still people all over this world today on Sunday coming together, worshiping the one true God. That's a, that's a movement like no other, without question. But it was only done, he only released them to do that at the moment when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. That was what Pentecost was about, birthing the church and the power of the Holy Spirit. So listen carefully to these two things. I know heard a lot, some you like, some you don't like, whatever it might be. Let me tell you these two things. I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm saying because I, I believe this is succinctly but very important. Without the Holy Spirit, none of us can do the work of the ministry as God wants us to do. That is point number one. Without the Holy Spirit, we can, we can do something. I'm not saying we can't go out there and, and make some noise and push some things around and do some things and maybe even accomplish some things that would be good. Okay, but here's what I'm saying. Without the Holy Spirit, none of us can do the work of the ministry as God wants us to do. How important it is. Here's the second point. With the Holy Spirit, we under his power and the ability that he gives us, can change the world. Who believes that? Don't be shy on me now. Who believes that? See, I'm standing here before you not giving you some message about something I'm trying to speak, like a motivational speaker. I believe it. I believe that this group of people and whoever else God brings into this fellowship can change the world. I'm not saying every single person in the world. I'm saying make a global impact in the places that he allows us to work. Make a community impact in a place where people are going to come to Christ and we're going to bring them in. We're going to build them up. We'll send them out. That can be done. That's a church on mission. Without Holy Spirit, 
can't do what God wants us to do. We can do something, we can't do what He really wants us to do. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can impact the world. So the last thing I want to just share with you is from Paul, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a very learned man when he was Saul of Tarsus. He was an educated man in the ways of, uh, of, of the Jewish faith. He knew all the traditions. He knew the law. He was, uh, he was what you would call a, a Ph.D. in the Torah. <laughs> okay? He was a smart guy. Very learned man. Everybody knew him as that. There was nothing you could get by him when talking about the law and the traditions of the Jewish faith. Nothing could be slipped by Saul of Tarsus because he knew it. Bam. But here's what he said when he was addressing the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and basically what he said is this. He said that, well, you can take that off for just a second. I'm going to come back to that. I'm sorry, I probably confused you there. Thank you. I want you to listen to what I'm saying about, about what he did. He came in and he said, even though everybody knew he was this really smart guy, he told them, and I'm going to put it in what, the, what I call the Billy translation, <laughs> He told those guys, I don't know beans. I don't know nothing about nothing. This is what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. And they were all like, probably thinking, oh, no, no, man, you know everything. You're, you're smart, man. You know all these things. No, he said, I don't know anything. But here's what I do know. The only thing I do know, after all whatever he had learned and all the things he had done, the one thing I do know is I know Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what I know. That's what I know. So all the things that Paul had learned and all the things that he knew, and at this point, now remember, this is after Pentecost. This is when Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. He basically had tossed aside all that stuff he had learned, and it didn't matter anymore because he said, I know this. I know Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all you need to know. But it boils right down to it. Here's why. This verse. And this is after he's addressing Corinthians. And so he goes on to say this. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. You look at commentary and translations of this. They talk about how he was like talking about how the Greeks would say something and it wasn't very eloquent and all this. So my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Say that. And of power. See, Paul knew this. Paul knew that that moment of Pentecost had given him the ability to not need to know anything else except this. And I'm not feeling, I'm not saying this to like, you know, don't study the word, don't, don't engage yourself in, in education of, of, of things of God and all this. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that in the end, he did, it doesn't matter how eloquently he speaks. What matters is the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That the Spirit gives us. And then it goes on to say, and this is one of my, Jakey, you'll like this, favorite verses. <laughs> I'm asking Jakey to keep up with all my favorite verses. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the of God. And I don't care who it is, who your favorite preacher is. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm kidding. I don't care who it is. If it's Charles Stanley, if it's Jensen Franklin, if it's 
Joel Osteen, if it's whomever it may be, if it was Billy Graham, if it's Pastor Bill, it doesn't matter whoever it is or all of these people. Nothing wrong with anything that they're doing for God that's great. But I do want to say this. Your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, whoever they are, but in the power of God. And that power is given to us, and that's what Pentecost was about. That power was given to us through the Holy Spirit the day of Pentecost. And at that moment in time is when the church was birthed, and everything that we have today in Christianity has survived centuries of people trying to destroy it. From Constantine, when he... he uh, embraced Christianity. I don't know if he accepted the Lord or what it was, but he, he embraced it. And then the next thing you know, we start building cathedrals. And we're painting frescoes. And we're, and we're doing art. And we're making statues. And we're doing all of these legalistic things again and making it a religion instead of a movement. And, the, and church has gotten like that today, too. I'm not against any denomination. I don't care if it's Baptist Assembly of God. I don't, I'm not here to, to criticize anything. Any, well, let me just clarify that. Any Bible-believing, full gospel preaching, you know, Jesus uh, is, the, is the only way to heaven and, and the absolute truth, infallible Word of God, inerrant Word of God. You're preaching that. I don't care what denomination you're in. I don't. Do you? I know this. Jesus doesn't care. He cares about all those other things, but he doesn't care about what denomination it is. See, religion and politics and government and all of these things and legalism, these things, they've tried to destroy Christianity over 2,000 years. But you know why it hasn't happened? It's because there was a day when Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. Not you, not others, not all these people are going to try to mess it up. I will build my church. And when I do, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus said. And he's done that. That's the reason that Christianity has survived to this point. And not only surviving, despite what people may say, it's thriving. It's thriving, but it's only because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the power of the Holy Spirit, the message of Jesus rests, as Paul said, don't do, in man's wisdom. And the church... The religious organizations, the structure of it all, would only have a patina of godliness without the power. Who wants to be in a church that has the patina of godliness? I don't. That's why I'm in this church. (laughs) Because we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. So without the power of the Holy Spirit, then we put it back in man's hands and he's going to mess it up like he messes up everything else. Right? We'll just be, it's an organization that we say. Let me tell you, there's a lot of them out there. And I'm going to say one and I don't want to say it. Did you see that article I sent you? The Episcopal Church is one of those. They tried to put a patina over themselves of godliness. And I'm sorry for anybody that hears this that I'm, that I'm going to offend, but I'm going to tell you the Episcopal Church is not a godly church. I'm sorry. It's not. And it's getting worse. It's getting worse than it was, and it was pretty bad. I'm not here to be hateful. I'm not hating. I love them. I love every person that goes to any of those churches. Hear me. But I'm not going to sugarcoat it. 
they are preaching a false doctrine. That it is not being blessed of God. And, the, and their numbers bear that out. And I'm not saying that because we're in a four-world Christmas church. It has nothing to do with that. I'm just simply saying we can't be in that mode. We have to be in the mode of working under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what First Assembly is. That's what a church on mission is. So I'm going to finish with this. The power of the Holy Spirit is important because of all the things we talked about, that it can transform lives. You know, there was fire that came down. Tongues of fire that came down that was referred to in Acts 2. And that's what happened. And, and, and you see that, and you try to visualize that, and it had to be just amazing. You know that fire changes everything it comes in contact with? If you don't believe that, after church, go get a match and light it and put your hand over the top of it. <laughs> fire changes everything it comes in contact with. Go to your fireplace and build a fire and throw a log in there. See what it changes. Fire transforms things. It can also forge things together. The power of the Holy Spirit is about fire. It was evidenced in the Scripture. And that fire can be something that molds us all together into one unit, working together in unity to be a church on mission. The church was birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit. It continued in the, in the successes that it's had in the power of the Holy Spirit. And society won't be transformed. Our world, our county, our, 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 our state, anywhere, any geographic measure you want to put on it or boundary you want to put on it, our society will not be changed or transformed until the church, and that means fellowship of believers, not buildings, people coming together are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Transformed by it. We need to seek that. We need to be in that. And so, the last thing on our verse here is this. Just remember this, church. This should be one of the main things that we say all the time around here. Do not quench the Spirit. Say that with me. Do not quench the Spirit. You see things sometimes you may not understand or things that are just maybe you think a little bit. Let others deal with that. Don't quench the Spirit. The Amplified Version says, do not quench, subdue, or be unresponsive to the working and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the one translation is quench not the Spirit. I think the people of God who are walking in the Spirit should stoke that fire every day. Amen? The only way we're going to be a church on mission and make a difference in this world is through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our midst and working in our lives and then working through what we do in this fellowship. And I'm going to tell you this. We can do it together. Do you believe that? We can do it together. And it may not just be the people in this room, but it starts here. It starts here. There's going to be people that are going to come in. We're